saints, aints, and friends. Welcome back to the Vibe Central Podcast. We are so glad that you guys decided to tune in today here at the Vibe Central. Now, I know I usually introduce a co-host or two, um, depending on who's with me that day, but surprise, surprise, it's just me. But you'll see why in a minute. Another thing we're gonna bypass is the joke. Um, in the podcast, I've gotten a lot of flank about the jokes, AKA most people have said they're just straight up corny, but that's okay because I like corny jokes because my humor is very corny. So we're gonna skip past the joke today to go straight into the conversation. Today's conversation is um, more of a men's emotional health talk. I invited some great people, some trailblazers in their own rights um, to come and discuss with me today. So our first guest is Apostle Stephen Hyde. You guys have heard of him before. He is a trailblazer. He is an apostle. He has a passion for the fivefold. But most importantly, he is an emotional advocate. Apostle Hyde. Hey, how are you doing today, Mitchell? Good to see you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm super excited for tonight. Um, I mean, after such a big introduction, I hope I can fill the shoes. <laughs> But um, I'm very excited to talk about men's emotional health. I believe it's something that, uh, you know, we need to dive more into and also Absolutely. to create um, safe spaces for men. Um, so that in itself is a whole other day. But I just want to start off by saying that. So I'm excited. It's a well-needed conversation. We are ready for this. Our second guest, Dr. Michael Dorsey. He is a creative in his own right. I mean, this guy is amazing. Like he also has a new radio show called Headspace with Dr. Mike, shameless plug for the people of God. And he's here with us today. Dr. Dorsey, sir. What's going on, fellas? Good to hang out with you all. Mitchell, thank you for allowing me to have the opportunity to share with you all today. And uh, this is also a, a topic that is of passion of a passion of mine because I think that uh, the kingdom really needs um, to, you know, the kingdom is, this This area is very important. And play a very important role in uh, kingdom work. And I think that this is a tool by which uh, the devil tries to interfere and, and knock some things back. So I'm excited about hanging out with you fellas today. Nice to meet you as well, Apostle Stephen. Nice to meet you as well. Let's do this. So we're first going to start out with a, a more of an icebreaker type thing. And the reason why I say it's an icebreaker, just so you guys can um, get acquainted with each other and, you know, have good dialogue. I want to talk about something um, that I have actually heard in my, in, in my growing up, in my childhood. And that was a phrase of men don't cry. That, that, if y'all could see Apostle High's reaction, it was a mood. I'm, I'm so serious. But I, I want to talk about that because what what do you guys think leads to that? Like what what like another man telling their kid or their their son specifically that men don't cry? I think it's I think it's the dumbest phrase in the world. That's me personally. But what do you guys think? I want to get your specific opinions on this. Like, does it lead to silence? Like, can it lead to the bottling of emotions, or can it lead to like what are you guys what are you guys thinking here? uh either one uh dr michael you want to go first okay um boys don't cry is inhumane it's uh unrealistic it's slightly demonic 
Um, and depending on the nature now, usually when these things are said, it's usually comes out of, uh, out of, or from a place of the toxic masculinity culture. And that's something that, you know, I am on a radical pursuit to really dismantle. I believe it's a principality from hell, um, that really tries to allow, um, the people of God, men in general to literally not be a human being. We were all created male or female with a thing called a tear duct. And what a tear duct is, it's the place where your tears are, where they hold and where they flow from. And so, you know, when whenever young boys hear the phrase, you know, boys don't cry or, you know, stop acting like a girl, um, things like that, what you really do is you really psychologically, you cause uh, arrested development to take place. And at that point, their, what's the word I want to use? Their emotional makeup is almost put on pause. And so from that moment, that young boy at maybe five, six, seven, they now have to go around in life angry, bitter, upset, yeah. um, frustrated, overwhelmed. And now they need to channel all of that pain and emotional hurt somewhere and they don't know where to do it. So that can lead the doors open to sexual perversion gun violence um joining gangs um because not not a lot of men do it in a healthy way where they can either go to the gym you know do a physical activity or something like that but regardless when we force men to suppress their emotions and we teach them that crying is not normal we're basically setting them up for failure and that's why we see so much going on with the men today because you know women say oh boys can't communicate and men can't communicate well we would have been able to if we were told that we shouldn't have and so when like whenever you're 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 now learning in life that you know you, when something's bothering you, you don't say something or you you suck it up or you get upset so it's only acceptable even as a man as i'm gonna you got me stirred already so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna digress soon but even as a man we only learn that the appropriate emotions to express are anger and joy and even joy it's very mildly but it's only socially acceptable for a man to express anger but when it comes to the soft um, emotions like sadness pain discomfort that's when it's now feminized and i believe that uh don't get me wrong i don't believe you're you should be a 30 year old man crying because your iced cappuccino spilt i don't believe that but i do believe that you know if it's bothering you you should be able to have a healthy conversation without putting a hole in the wall so i'll just start right there oh man um so this is what I will say. I think that, um, you know, this is Black History Month, is it not? Uh, we are yeah. I'm not sure this is going to broadcast in Black History Month. But, you know, one of the things that I think that when we start having this conversation, we have to recognize, too, that depending on what culture you're a part of determines the stigma and the rules. So with that being said, one of the things that we recognize is uh, in that I can speak from the African-American culture, being that that's what I am a part of that that was a bigger stigma in that culture than it would have been in other cultures. And I think a lot of that just stemmed from the passing down of generational things. You know, for instance, yeah. um, here in America, you, you're a man slave. You're not going to show the master that you are um, feeling the way you feel about um, you're going to hide your emotions, right? And I think that that mentality did pass along uh, to um, it, it passed along from generation to generation. And it's one of those proverbial, we do things the way we do them because that's the way they've always been done. For instance, uh, my wife is in the um, kitchen right now making pot, she's, uh, you know, has pot, pot roast in the, in the um, crock pot. And I like to tell the story, <laughs> you coming over, right? There's, yep, um, 
there's a story about a man who loved his wife's uh, rump roast, right? And the one problem that he always had with her was that she would cut off two ends of it and kind of just waste this perfectly good meat. But that's how he made it. And he said, why do you make it that way? And she said, that's the way my mother always made it. Mm. And so then one day he went and um, he, he was at his mother-in-law's house and she was like, what we have for dinner? Pot roast. All of a sudden, he watched her do the same thing, cut both ends up. That's the way my mother always did. So he's upset about this because they're wasting perfectly good meat. Goes to Big Mama's house, and she said, baby, what are we going to have? He said, you know, I want your rump roast because I've heard so much about it. I want it. She says, baby, whatever you want, you can get. And all of a sudden, she's working it out. She's seasoning the beef. She's um, making sure the carrots and the onions and the potatoes and all this stuff are ready. And right as she's about to put it all in the oven, he says, wait a minute, you missed the step. She said, what are you talking about? He said, whenever your granddaughter makes it, she always cuts off both sides, says it's because of the way your daughter makes it. Whenever your daughter makes it, she cuts off both sides, says because that's the way you made it. She instantly hunched over, started laughing. She said, baby, did they tell you the pan wasn't big enough? My Only God. reason why I had to cut it away was because I had to make sure it could fit in the pan. Once I got a bigger pan, I could put it all in there together. There you go. But for years, that's what they were doing. They were making the runt roast thinking that's the way it was supposed to be done. Mm. And therefore, this is what we have now. And so I think when you start looking at that, um, this is dating me a little bit, but uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie Glory. Glory was, uh, it's, it's a, basically, it's a, well, you guys need to go watch it. It is a movie about- <laughs> Glory, um, I, it just the hit black, me. Movie. The black um, uh, uh, infantry that served in the Civil War. Denzel Washington, um, a whole bunch of the, the the big names were in it at the time. Matthew Broderick was in it. And um, there was a scene where Denzel Washington's character, he um, gets, gets whipped. And there was a scene where all of a sudden he cries. Until this day, you will hear people talk about that scene when Denzel cried. And that was a turning point for when it became socially acceptable to see a man, a black man, demonstrate his emotions through the, through crying so um you have to check it out it was, it was a pivotal moment in um in, in cinematography as well as just in black culture and i think that that's just it it's it's something that was passed down and people don't even know why it was passed down you know we pass it down this yeah. is what you do this is what you don't do um and and you know it's something that we have to start digging into figuring out what that is at the same token and i know we got both governors there are certain times where I do tell my man child that I'm raising that you don't give people the opportunity to see that they have had an impact on you. And I don't necessarily know that that is, I don't know that that necessarily is a man thing. I just think that's just a, in general thing. I'm not going to give you the benefit of seeing the fact that you actually got under my skin, that you actually tapped into um, a weakness of mine. I'm not going to give you that satisfaction. I think that that's something that has to be I think that what we have experienced in the past, some people can't articulate that. Mm. They can't articulate. There's a moment when this is appropriate and this isn't. Right. And I think that that's what happened. There was some confusion of it for the simple fact that people just don't get it. And I think that that's what we have seen today. So that's my two cents about that. If I can just piggyback Mitchell off of Dr. Michael. Go ahead. Like you said something that's so profound, and I think you can just I, call I, me Mike. By the way, you can call me Mike. Mike I'm gonna call you Doctor Mike. You worked for that, huh? I mean, I appreciate that. <laughs> you're a king, and I salute you. Um, so essentially, you touched something, and I, I want to kind of talk about it. And I, I completely agree where you should not let. And that's why I mentioned in the in the earlier in my intro that it's all about 
safe places and safe spaces yeah and so you like if as a man you should know that to your father here's a safe place that i can express my emotions versus you know in a place where maybe at work or depending on a or depending on what the circumstance might call for and i think that's when we need to learn to have self-control and understand time and places and i think what we usually do is we just throw out the baby with the bath water so because we can't discern when a good moment is we just suppress it all and then the slightest thing happens at the grocery store and now you're in custody and so i believe that um that you said that and it really blessed me now you also said another thing i wanted to just chime in on cultural culture plays a huge role i remember you know looking at my um non-african american counterparts and seeing how emotionally healthy they were not just their emotionally healthy but also looking at uh how emotionally supportive they were supported rather they had so many people around them that were supportive and that really encouraged them to really speak up and express themselves and so i have to agree 153 that um as it pertains to you know it being passed down and we know that they used to like demoralize you know men and really uh whip the 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 the, the man of the house in front of the family to strike fear in those who were on looking and so when we look at all these things if we build uh the men who were forced to then you know be that strong superman role and even if they don't enforce that toxic masculinity culture uh children are like sponges so they'll say like i've never seen my father cry so maybe i shouldn't be doing this or any other man in their life and this is what how men are men and i don't care if if anybody that says that disagrees with what i'm saying it's a very broad statement but i'm gonna say it is not being honest with themselves but men search throughout life looking for a role model it's just the truth of the matter oh i'm a leader i'm with this you are a leader but your inspiration comes from michael jordan your inspiration comes from your favorite preacher your inspiration comes from your favorite sports um person your favorite rapper there there you go your favorite rapper Yep, all of it. And like, and we don't like to admit that, but that's how men are wired. And I was having a conversation with a young lady that was saying that, you know, men don't really move on. Men just kind of go through life looking for that father figure. Um, and they look for it in big brother they look for it in coach they look for it in the rapper and whatever it whatever capacity and so men we really need healthy role models and so when you said to me that like you know we have to learn to create a safe space like usually if you have women who are you know um more motherly figures they're gonna coddle and they're gonna nurture and then if you have a man who sees you as another man getting coddled by your mom, you're now soft because maybe they never had that sort of emotional support. And then the flip side can happen where, you know, the mom might coddle too much and then that uh, young man becomes, you know, overly sensitive, doesn't know how to pull it together. So you need to have a healthy balance. And then also, because I believe that like, you know, fathers come, fathers should be number one, supportive all that very affirming and i think because when we lack the affirmation in the home it then allows us to as i said go outside the home and start to look for things and look for validation in what we do versus who we are so i mean that in itself is a whole other topic but i believe that when it pertains to men like you have to understand the way how men are emotionally made up and last thing i'm so sorry men are super 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 sensitive we just know how to mask it properly 
And that's why the people around us that say the slightest things, it irks us the wrong way. We end up getting upset and we end up, quote unquote, shutting down. But the reality is this is annoying and this is bothering us, but we don't know what else to do. So we have to kind of understand that as we're made up that like the truth of the matter is we are sensitive. Now, some guy out there might be like, well, Apostle, I'm not sensitive. And it's like you are, but you're not allowing yourself to express that because you've mastered suppressing it for so long where you now I literally know men that say like I don't cry and I'm like you're proud of that and I'm, that concerns me right you need to you like need like to. you're a believer and if worship gets too good you're telling me you can't drop a few tears that to me is problematic when you think you're more manlier than Jesus who wept well I mean talk I'm done you. I'm done no, that's it, man. You said some real things right there. That I mean, my, my goodness, talk, you said some stuff. What you say, Mitchell? I said, I, I mean, talk your talk. I, I, yeah, you you said you said that. Look, <laughs> I remember the day. I remember the day when uh, we left my um, grandmother um, at the hospice, and uh, we left her body actually because we went to go visit her. And we were met at the door with the news that she had passed on. And this is my dad, who's who happens to be my stepdad, but we don't talk about that. Like he's my dad. He raised me. I have his last name, everything. So that's my dad. And I will never forget to this day when all of a sudden he uncontrollably wept in the front seat. And it had such an impact on me because that was the first oh time I had ever seen my dad cry. And here I was, I was a freshman in high school. Wow. So, so that was the first time I had actually seen him emote and that had an impact on me in more ways than I even realized to the point where my dad, when I'll never forget when uh, he dropped me off at college in Ohio, he kissed me on the cheek mm. and that was a big deal yes. because like, and it was like, I didn't shy away from, I was, I realized, I think that's cool that my dad just gave me a kiss, you right. know, like it wasn't, it was, it was no different than what he would give to my sister on the cheek. It was his way of just letting me know, I love you. Right. I'm supporting you. I'm here for you. I'm going to miss you. And those were little moments that you're absolutely right. You, you, you hit the nail on the head that sometimes people lash out because there's something they're not getting. Correct. And human nature. I mean, that's, 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 that's just it. The psychology of how that works is we long for That's, that's one of the reasons why this COVID situation, we're going to see the, 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 the results of this for years to come because we as a don't even it's not even about man or woman it's about human beings we're the only creation that was designed for interaction with each other yeah and the fact yeah. that we were put in a situation where we could not have human inter human contact for so long it is going to have it's going to have a, a major um a major um down the road we are going to have some we're going to be having more of these conversations because it's going to be a major thing because we're just not, I don't care how introverted you are. You still need some kind of yeah. human connection. So man, you, you hit the nail on the head apostle. I, I bravo. Not I good. mean, this sir, no, no, no. Good. Like you, Mitchell, if I may, I'm so sorry. All right. Like you said something and I, Go ahead. I'm going I really you. feel that we need to unpack it a little bit more because as an apostle, I look at, you know, demons and spirits and things that, you know, really uh, uh, influence the minds of, of the thinking of people. So immediately when you said that, when you went to college and your father gave you a kiss on the cheek, I know at least seven men right now listening just manifested. 
because they're like, oh, that's weird. Oh, that's, uh, you know, the, the three letter word that starts with the G. Oh, that's this, that's that. And in reality, it's like, no, if you're an orphan, just say so. Because when we when we look at it like yikes, there's a there's a literally an orphan spirit, that spirit of rejection mm. that we say like you know what, where we begin to start to say that you know what, because I was never given this, this is a false narrative. But anything outside of it, they begin to demonize because their perspectives are skewed. And so when you have somebody who was raised in an orphanage and you know they don't know what it's like to feel hugged to told to be told i love you to be you know kissed on in a in a in a platonic paternal um uh, parental rather way and it's like so when we, when we look at that an orphan will say oh my god that's so weird oh my god scared that's weird leave me alone but in reality if you were born and raised with healthy emotional support and healthy uh, affection and this is why I'm confused because I'm scared of the men in the body who are so uh, driven or led by the toxic masculinity culture because right throughout the scriptures, I always say this, if you're uncomfortable at hearing what Dr. Michael just said, how uncomfortable would you have been if you were sitting at the same seat at the same table with Jesus when John laid on his breast? How uncomfortable would you have been why, by an act of betrayal when Judas kissed Jesus as an identifier that he was the Messiah? How uncomfortable would you have been when Jonathan fell on, on David's neck and kissed him? How uncomfortable would you have been as a man when Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss? So I, I'm a little confused when we talk about, oh, I want to be like Jesus. No, you want to be like Jesus until it makes you comfortable because we've been taught about this toxic masculinity culture that says, that, oh, what's wrong with the father being able to affirm and love their son by an act of a hug or by an act of a kiss? And if you've never had that before, you're going to begin to. OK, let me just say this. The toxic masculinity culture is literally birthed out of rejected men who now want to make their normal the new normal. But you have to understand that like there is a deliverance process that one needs to go through. And I know that they know it's toxic because the second these men who uphold um, toxic masculinity, the second they have a baby boy, all of a sudden, all of their mindsets are now shifting. Now they're going to the park and now they're holding their hand and now they're kissing them goodnight. And when before that was not their thought process. Why? Because love has a way of making you do something. And like we, we need to stop normalizing our experiences. And again, this might just be limited not limited, but mostly limited to the African-American culture. When we look at other cultures, you know, I'm used to seeing, you know, non-African-American kids getting kissed on the forehead as they're going to school or, you know, having their hands held or being able to like, you know, lay on your father, lay on your mother, be God, to be kindly affectioned one towards another as Paul wants us to be. And so I have a whole rundown on what I believe, you know, when we talk about, you know, being a, a believer of Jesus and what that looks like. Jesus and his disciples were very, very, very tight knit. Like, and it's when you look at it, like whether or not it makes you uncomfortable and say, oh, well, they're, they're, they're a Jewish culture. And, uh, you know, um, it's not the same. Da, 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 da. We know that the times are shifting. Yes. But the word of God does not change. And so we need to really assess and be like, look, is this normal or am I just dysfunctional? I, I think we and I think we have to be a little careful only because this doesn't all, this showing up does not always show up to, um, it's not a symptom of straight toxic masculinity. Sometimes 
it is a dad. I find myself being the, the father of a nine-year-old. There are certain things that my son does that I have to be very careful. Like, you know, he got scared for something um, on TV and he he screamed. <laughs> like, dude, don't don't do that. <laughs> like, right, so right. so it's not always about it's not always about um, I just don't want them to do this because this, this sometimes it's, I just don't want to do because I don't want to get picked on by other people. Right. By other people who don't get it. You know what I'm saying? So mm. there are things, and I'm not I'm not trying to condone anything that I do. And I think that you guys, I, I think I'm pretty sure over the last 20 minutes, I've shown you my heart on this. So I think that there is a fine line that has to be taught. There's a healthy balance. Um, yeah. Again, there are things that I'm just, and there are some things that I've just let go because I really, you know, I grew up in a house, played football, wrestling. There's certain things we just didn't do. Um, but then, you know, as Mitchell mentioned earlier, I'm a creative, so I I have to learn how to emote and, and you know, and, and that sort of thing. And so there are certain things I just, I'm like, you know, that's just what he's doing. But in the, the same note, you bring up a good point. Some of the, the, the criminals that we see, it goes back to the fact that they never learned how to cope. And we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that now. Like, I, I mean, when you start looking at the records, the, the, the statistics of the the shootings and why people are shooting like it's yeah dude, like really you we are unfortunately raising a generation up that has not learned how to cope i don't know what that's about um that is not hmm. not learning how to cope with uh i even look at i even look at things as simple as the fact that people protested having to wear a mask for the covid-19 situation like in my mind, I don't even know what, what are you, you're not missing out on anything. Like it's, it's just put a piece, just put it up there, keep it moving. Like I, and I, I, I still to this day don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, it doesn't make but sense. then it just, and then the way people have responded to it, like, whoa. And when you start looking at it, you start realizing, oh, these people never learned how to cope with, with being told what they couldn't do or oh being told with, you know, being put in, in situations where they don't have any limits. And I think that right there is another conversation in itself. But I think that that shows up and even shows up in this, that they haven't learned how to cope. And so they want to blame it on other things. And it's like, nah, dude, you just, you just didn't learn how to cope. You, you were given everything that you wanted or you weren't told you could and couldn't do certain things. So there's a couple of things there, but um, I'll let that one go. I want to, number one, I have three points here. One, first of all, guys, that was the first topic. That was the first <laughs> topic. And they, I mean, they went off, did they not? Second thing, I want to go back to a point. Um, one time, I'm going to tell this quick story real quick. One time, um, as my as me and my dad have had a, a weird relationship but in our process of rebuilding i saw my dad get emotional for the first time mm -hmm. and as a guy who didn't really have a father and went through the ringer because i didn't have a father i'm going to be honest with you guys like i stepped into a whole other lifestyle of perversion of homosexuality because i just didn't know and i didn't have the skills to to understand what I'm doing. So I stepped into a whole different lifestyle. Mind you, when this instance happened, I, number one, my father told me, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna keep it a hundred with you guys. My father told me that if I ever stepped into that lifestyle, he would disown me as a son. Mm. He would disown me as a son and he would never, mm. he wouldn't have contact with me. He didn't want any of his children doing that. And we had that conversation. And while that unraveled me, I had to understand 
he was never taught to process his own emotions. Right. So he couldn't process, I, I couldn't tell him because he couldn't process mine, let alone his own. That's right. And it's like, I, I see this sometimes, it's like sometimes we try to be safe spaces for other people and we don't have a safe space ourselves. That's good. We try to be safe spaces for other people trying to have them to heal us mm -hmm. when that is not gonna happen. So back to the story. So one day, I think something had happened with my, cause my, I'm in Houston, Texas, he's in Houston, Texas. And I have a flight to catch and he couldn't go with me. He wanted to go with me very badly. Like, like he wanted to go with me and be able to spend time with me in Maryland. And because he had, hadn't been to Maryland in a while and he couldn't do that. And so because he was looking forward to, because my brother is also in Maryland, because he couldn't do that, he got emotional. That was the first time it, it was, that was the first time I had seen my dad cry. Mm -hmm. Now, fifth grade, my dad kissed me on the cheek one time and that also unraveled me. Like, like, like um, Dr. Dr. Dorsey said, it also unraveled me to a sense because I had never seen that, nor was I used to it. So fast forward from that, he, he cries and I've never seen my dad cry. And of course he tried at first to hold it back and seem like, no, I'm, I'm in front of my kid. You know, I can't, I can't do it. But I said, dad, if you have to cry, cry. And the, I mean, like the floodgates. My God. So seeing that for the first time, bruh, that unraveled me. Like that literally, I was on the plane like, cause I'm not used to it. I had never seen it before. I had never seen it happen. And so I'm on the plane like, and it's, mind you, it's just me. I'm sitting there, my usual window seat, We'll talk about window seats in a minute. I love window seats. They're of the Lord. They are of the Lord. I don't travel unless it's a window seat. Huh? I mean, seriously. I don't like the middle seat and I only like the end seat if I'm like, no, the window seat. Hallelujah. So <laughs> I'm in the window seat. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I really saw my dad cry. Now, mind you, of our kind of estranged relationship, by that kind of point, we were like building our, trying to build our relationship again. And that unraveled me. And I came, like, it took me, oddly, it took me days to process it. And I had to understand the reason why it took me days to understand that I had seen my dad cry. One, because I was not used to a man showing emotion, period. Right. Was not used to that. So seeing it, I had to go back and do introspective work and say, am I a product of him? Hmm. Hmm. Am I, am I silent in my emotions because he was silent in his before that instance mm -hmm. happened because i told you guys before no i'm in front like he was like no i'm in front of my kid i can't i can't get emotional so was i a product of that so i want to leading into that i want to talk about it like it's a, it, i feel like it's a generational thing like this this generate like I'm, I'm gonna say my generation specifically um like people say oh y'all are so violent Y'all are this, y'all are that. And coming from somebody who's like, who's heard it said to them before, like y'all are violent. Y'all like to, y'all always in gangs. Every time we turn around, y'all are in gangs. But they don't process why it is happening. And you guys hit it earlier of the fact that we can't process our emotions. And so I wanna talk about it being a, a generational thing. And I, I promise you, I had a whole question lined out, but it slipped my mind completely. <laughs> I mean, just flew past my head, but I want to talk about it. Like it's, 
why do you think the the generations before us were were so afraid of it we're so afraid of we're so afraid of diving into it so that we didn't have to deal with it but why do you think they just kind of let it let it pass down and that's more along where i was going with it well let's talk about generations so when you speak of generations uh-huh. you, got, you got the different breakdown of them you have uh for the first time in history we have five to six different generations that are interacting and working together uh, so you have the traditionalists. Those were people who were born before 1945. These were for, you know, for many of us, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, uh, great-great-grandparents. These were the ones who grew up during the the, the depression. Uh, their work ethic was very, it's all about the fact that I get a job. Like I, whatever the job is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it to right. the best of my ability because they, they lived in a moment of lack, right? Mm-hmm. And they gave birth to baby boomers who were born between 1946 and about 1962, right? And this was a generation that um, were the products of that generation that their their parents wanted to just see them get better. They encouraged them to go to school. This was the first generation where mom and dad both had to go to work. That's good. Traditionalists, who went? Who 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 did it? It was dad. Right. It was all about dad, right? Who, who handled the personal affairs? It was mom, she, she cooked the dinner, she made sure the house was a livable house, she made sure it was a place that was pleasant, took care of the kids. Why? Because dad had to work, had to work work. And here's the thing, the work that dad had to do was pretty rough. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just sit at a desk and you know eat bonbons and stuff. I mean, it was a lot of times it was backbreaking work, it was in the factories and the mills. So there was that. So there was this level of respect for the fact that this person, the lifestyle that I have is because of this man. You got it? And that's what it was. It was, it was, it was that it was that way. And so then baby boomers all of a sudden it opened up the whole new gamut because it was like, you no, know, both of us have to work in order for us to be able to survive. Yeah. We both had to work. They gave birth to Generation Xers born between 1962 to about 1981-82, right? This was the group of people who were known as the latchkey kids. Why is that? We were the generation. I'm, I'm a cusper. I'm, I'm was born during Generation X time, but I also have millennial-ish ways. Um, but what you had was you had this generation that was home by themselves for a long period of time. They had to entertain themselves. So what entertained them? TV, mm. right? So they got a lot of things from culture, pop culture. Mom and dad were there. They, they pretty much trust that. I mean, it was a lot of stuff that we had to do on our own. We had, that's where you had to learn how to make the hot pockets and you cooked your own dinner or they made the dinner for you, you had to heat it up. Like that was the imp- environment. So you really didn't have a lot of interaction with your parents because you just, they were working and you didn't complain about it because the lifestyle that you have was because of them. That's good. So now you have a group of Generation Xers who are known as the forgotten generation because we're like, y'all then forgot us. Y'all like y'all forgot we live. Mm-hmm. We're sitting around and we're watching the millennials who were born between 19, what, 19, 1983 to about 1996. This is the generation that's coming up and they're like, whoa, what in the world? Mm-mm, this is like totally, they're, they're becoming, they're, they're, they're the, you, you, um, the YOLO generation. It's like, you only live once. I'm going to go ahead and try everything. And here's the thing. They're the one generation that doesn't know what it's like to lack something. Yeah. They have no lack. You had you had the baby boomers, you have the traditionalists, they understand what it's like to like build themselves up from the bootstraps. This is a generation that is, is, has experienced the longest generation, the longest period of time where there was nothing, there was no lack. 
I, I couldn't get what I, I, there's no I mean I'm living in a land of prosperity mm. and then what happens though is you have the group generation Zers who are the ones born after 1996 they're the ones who are looking back and saying whoa I'm seeing y'all struggle let me pull things back that's why this is the millennials I'm going away to college I'm going to rack up 50 60 thousand dollars worth of debt a year I'm going to do all that because I cannot cope you have Generation Zers who are saying, whoa, I see the struggle that y'all are going through right now. I don't want to live that kind of lifestyle. I want, they're the ones that have decided I'm going to go ahead and stay at community college. I'm not going to, I'm going to take a, a break. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to work a little bit. They're the ones who are trying to figure out how to bring back to the family. So I say all that to say it's going full cycle. Mm. So now that you understand how the generations work, now what you're starting to see is you're starting to see, all right, how this interaction is, is taking place. And, and that's what that is. What that is, is that you have different generations interacting with each other, trying to figure out how that generation works and how to function within that generation. Um, the fact that my son will never know what America is like without a person of color being able to be the president and the vice president of the United States speaks yeah. volumes. In the second grade, I was told by my second grade teacher, when I told her I wanted to be the president, I was going to have to pick another job and went home cried to my mom about it and she said she's kind of right my god and so that right there goes to show you the mentality of the different generations and so i think that that's where you have to start having that conversation of just looking at how those generations cope and there is a there's a war there's people are trying to they're trying to deprogram themselves right and then they're trying to that they're dealing with um, one more thing, and I know, I know, because I know Apostle Stephen has something to say about this. One more piece oh, of no, it. Oh no, you are knocking this out of the ballpark. This is all you. <laughs> and then the other thing, it, it translates into workplace, right? So, for instance, you traditionalists, baby boomers, I don't hear from you unless I'm doing something wrong, right? That's good to me. So you don't talk to me. I mean, that... you talk to me when I do something wrong. Like whenever I do something right, I mean, that's your job. That's good. So, so you know, then you have a generation of millennials. And Generation Zers, who every day you're getting progress reports from your teachers. Yeah. Right? My son, when he was in pre-K, Mount Pleasant Christian School. Let's go. Right? Every week he gets he gets this, he gets this, he gets this little piece of paper that gives a status report. I'm like, dude, all he's doing is pooping and peeing. Why do I need a report <laughs> on what he does? That Friday progress report. <laughs> Two pieces of the pee. Like that's how I felt. I was like, why? But that's what the culture is. And so now you have a generation that's coming up that they're used to getting feedback, good, bad, or ugly. That's so good. I mean, and really? so now what's happening is they're not getting, they're not getting this feedback because people don't understand that the feedback is necessary. I didn't need the feedback. So I, remember I told you I'm a cusper. So I'm, I'm late generation Z, I was born in 78, late generation X, but I have millennial-ish ways. I, I, I like to describe it as I have the culture of generation um, um, X, but I don't have the technology of the millennial. Like I'm still, technology is a little struggle for me, right? Yeah. And that's kind of how people in my age bracket are. But one of the things that I'm noticing is that that's just the key. How do you deal with that? Like I'm used, not me, but I'm dealing with a, you guys, right? Mitchell, especially. I know I got to give you feedback. Now in my mind, that's coddling. <laughs> Mitchell gave it the pizza. <laughs> in my mind, that's coddling, right? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't want, because I don't need the coddling. Like right. I don't, I don't really need that, but at the same token, I'm not going to lie to you. When you give it to me, I don't, I'm not upset about it. I'm yeah. like, well, I kind of appreciate it because now I feel appreciated. You see? Ooh. And so now you got a generation that that's, that that's not getting this feedback 
So they don't know what they're doing. So all of a sudden they're living out. So then they didn't enter the gangs. The gangs are giving them what they want. Come on. So now it's like, I can relate. So now, so now let's look at what the gang is. Like, so what the gang does is a by, it's, it's okay. I don't care what the gang, the gang could sit there and put together um, M&Ms into, into candy bars. I don't care because it's a group of people who are giving me what I need, the feedback that I need, that I've been longing for, that I haven't been able to get from the people that I've been wanting to get it from. And so that's what it is. So then all of a sudden people start going and gravitating to those different subgroups, not necessarily because they believe in it all, but because they're giving them the feedback that they're hoping for. Now, you've indoctrinated me. You've given me the love that I've been looking for, the feedback that I've been looking for. Well, you know what? You must not be that bad. And that's where some of the perversion stuff comes in. That's Come where we start, we start accepting things because it's like, I hear what you're saying, but I'm getting everything that I want from this relationship. And that's what it is. And so, and then, but then you got a group that is so far removed. Remember, they, they're, they're so far removed from lack. So the, the promises of God are a little different for this generation than it is for this generation, because I don't know what it's like to be in a, a, between a rock and a hard place. And God stepped in and delivered me out because everything I've wanted, I've gotten. <laughs> so you have something that I want, I'm just gonna go get it because that's how I'm wired. What do you mean I can't get that? Psh, whatever, so I'll just, go, I'll just go make my own. That's what they say, I'll just go make my own. Well then that's fine doesn't matter because you can't tell me what I can't have because I know that I can have it. And that's kind of how that shows up. Sir. Do y'all hear this? No, 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 no. <laughs> no Y'all no. are listening to this, right? Like- My God. Like, li listeners, podcast, please understand. This got real very quickly. Hmm. Very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, okay, let's move to the next topic. Because, I mean, y'all are talking that talk today. Emo my God. Emo so good to me. Really, emotional trauma. Something happens, and we're now silenced. Or, okay, another example. Uh, this is a very honest conversation, so I'm going to go ahead and keep it a buck with you guys. I went through a lot of uh, assault, Okay sexual sexual assault that is and i didn't decide to face it probably until 2020 and so in my not facing it that was another road that, that i took to go down the 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 perverted road that it's acceptable that doing that with that person is acceptable wanting that unnatural type love is acceptable because I was kind of forced into believing that it was okay. And I didn't say anything to anybody. And so to an extent, it silenced me. Mm. And I tried to verbalize it in other ways and going out and doing, I always say doing something strange for a piece of change. Going out there and doing, I'm serious. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Going out there and doing it with anybody. So what are you what what is your what are your thoughts on the silencing effect on it could be it could be verbal assault it could be any type of trauma anything that left trauma in your life and the silencing of this is why I didn't do questions because I knew I wouldn't need them but the the silencing effect of emotional trauma like what are your what are you guys' thoughts on it 
Well, I think um, whatever is in the dark, like is in basically is in the devil's territory. And that's how I look at it from a spiritual standpoint. And so whenever you don't deal with a thing, you kind of push it to the back burner and you just kind of say, okay, maybe tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into a decade and then a decade turns into two decades. And then now that you look at it, you have a whole mountain that you're refusing to conquer because you keep things in the dark. And when things are in the dark or silenced or suppressed, as some of the languages we're using tonight is you end up festering and you only end up going in deeper. So you end up spiraling because essentially it's just like you like confession is good for the soul. Um, Jesus talks about, um, well, Jesus through apostle James that confess your sins one to another and so that you will be healed. Um, You know, we usually think that we, that's like, you know, confessing your sins before the Lord, but he says, confess your faults one to another. He's speaking in terms of like actually physically telling people like your shortcomings, because that's how you can be healed because there's healing that comes when you let your soul speak. Um, and so I think that some of the negative effects of it is you definitely downward spiral. You end up going into a hole. And I always tell people this is that there's power and there's strength in numbers. So when you decide not to say something to somebody, you don't give that other person the power to help you out of that dark place because you're then trying to conquer it on your own. And sometimes people are able to do that, but the majority of the times, it's not possible until you can, you know, call on somebody and say, hey, help me pray. If any two on earth shall touch and agree, there he'll be in the midst. And so we need to do a very good job or a better job rather at, um, you know, not silencing and that's something that trauma wants to do because trauma also comes with embarrassment so if i talk about what has happened or what somebody said or what somebody did um you know trauma has a way of latching itself onto you as an identity and not an experience wow so then we say you know what if i talk about this i'm going to be exposing quote unquote who i am when in reality you're not your trauma you experience trauma. And so you kind of need to learn to decipher to say, I want to speak about my experience and understand that the devil is going to try to give you a false identity, give you a false hope, write a false narrative. But you have to be able to, you know, the old school church will say it like this and like kind of like uh, Dr. Michael, I'm a millennial at uh, at heart, but my work ethic is Gen X. So I'm like super old school. I'm told amongst mine. So the old church, the old school church would say, speak the truth and shame the devil. Yep. Because essentially it's just like when you keep quiet, he basically has his hand over your mouth and says, don't say that because he knows that your freedom is in your talking. Your freedom is in your, uh, your venting, your sharing. And so it's very important that we need to understand that don't let trauma silence you. And that's why what, I think it's, I think it's my millennial generation that says, listen, we love Jesus, but we also love therapy. Like, and there's, there's other, you know, uh, depending on your generations, they're just kind of like, no, you know, we don't, you know, you don't need a therapist. You just need good deliverance ministry. And I'm slightly old school like that too, but don't get me wrong. I'll talk to a therapist, but I believe that, you know, you slap your hand on a person's forehead really nice. And you're really anointed. I believe that demon will come to me now. Don't get it to that goes to that generational piece though, because that was a generation piece. You don't, you don't tell you, you don't put that business. Don't, don't tell nobody else our business. This is the business that needs to be contained to our family. And so then what happens was you didn't went and told strangers of our business. Correct. That, that's in the same category as that. Yeah. Correct. 
and I'm happy you mentioned that because that's that's I was actually dealing with uh, a case. I was in preaching in another region, and she had a a sickness. Now I have a Caribbean background, so uh, my by descent I'm Jamaican, and so whenever they even hide sicknesses, like if somebody has cancer, they don't want other people to know because for whatever reason they find that it's embarrassing, and it's just like you're literally like giving the devil more ammunition by keeping this to yourself. Because if we were to mobilize intercessors, we can get to the root of this thing. But you're sitting here, really, what it is is in your pride. Saying that, you know what, I don't want to be seen in a certain light. So I know we're talking about emotional health, but even as it relates to like, you know, trauma and talking about things and, you know, being bold to express certain emotions, it all goes back to pride. And, you know, that's why it's like, yes, I'm, sh I'm sure, you know, you weren't raised like that, but you can inherit, like sin is inherited. And uh, we know that God literally looks like he does not, a proud look, he can't even stand, much less a proud word, a proud deed. So when we look at things like this, you can literally inherit these mindsets. And so I just want to speak to the to the silence of the trauma bite and say, look, our generation, like, look, we're going to get free because we saw how your silence killed you. We saw how your silence literally got you where you are today and you're bitter, you're angry, you're upset, and we're not going to go through that. So sure, you might abandon me and you might disown me because I talk, quote unquote, the family business, but we are in a lot more better emotional state because when you look at, and then on the spiritual standpoint, whatever you don't deal with can, audit, can come and fester and build bitterness and bitterness opens the door to sickness and disease. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about, oh, high blood pressure and cancer and stress and all these different things. You're stressed because you don't, you won't talk about it. You're stressed because uh, you're not opening uh, up about uh, you know, right. what you need to open up about. So I'm not going to sit here and die of cervical cancer. For I, I'm a man. I don't get cervical cancer. But you know what I mean? Cervical cancer because, you know, I refuse to speak up. No, I'm going to talk, sh speak up, shame the devil and see my deliverance. Why? Because According to James 5, 16, I believe it is. Confess your faults one to another and you shall be healed. Yeah. You said that. And, and the Bible says it. The Bible says that. How many times do we hear about the in, throughout the scripture talk about confess with your mouth? Like there's, yeah. some, there's power yeah. about proclaiming something from your mouth. Like there's I, something yeah, about that. Power Absolutely. All, all, all through the scriptures, Old and New Testament. I feel the Holy Ghost on this. That. Legit. My God, man! I y'all, y'all, y'all. I'm about to lose it. See that old school Pentecost is raising up in me right now. Seriously, woo! I this has the instance to go all the way left. I'm just gonna go ahead and put it right there. <laughs> this has the instance to go all the way left. I'm gonna just let y'all know this now. This has the instance to go left, left. So let's. Apostle, you all right? Let's let's be. I'm trying to hold it in. <laughs> you all right? Let's make sure you all right here. So we I'm good. I'm good. All right. Get it. The, the important, mm, important. I can't even. I, I'm 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 done. The importance of processing emotions healthily, aka safe spaces. Whatever you wherever you want to put this. Let's unpack safe spaces more. I'm gonna ask this question. How? How do you know that you have a good safe space? How do you know that you have somebody that you can trust? Number one, that won't, number one, use it against you. And number two, that you can really go and be honest with this person and they won't shame you for your honesty. So how do you, what are your guys' thoughts? Well, I remember a day, um, oh shoot, this was, this was several years ago, several years ago. 
and I just did something just dumb. It was in youngness and dumbness, and uh, my best friend, I had, you know, in shame, I kind of pulled myself back, and finally we had a conversation, and he said something to me that was so prolific. He said, you could kill someone, and I would still love you. And, yep, and, yep, and yep, I yep, think yep. that that right That's there awesome. spoke volumes to me. And what that did for me was that um, allowed me to say, that's the kind of relationship I want to make sure people know they can have with me. Right. Right. Um, and so, so with that, I, I think that there does, uh, there comes a point where you just have to trust, you have to, you have to build a level of trust. Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't want, you know, I'm not going to come to you and just say, I just want you to know I'm a safe space. Like, who are you? Like, I don't know anything <laughs> about you. You know, so, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you do have to go, sh- I don't want to say shopping for it, but that's the best yeah. way to describe it. Like, you're not, but at the same token, um, I do think that that you do need to find someone that you know can be that that person for you. At least one, you know, one person. Um, and then throughout the years, you'll develop in different circles, you'll develop it. Um, but, you, you know, I try to, as I'm in my 40s now, I'm noticing that I'm keeping my acquaintances very tight. Like it's just, it's it's just tight. Um, it's tight because not every, not everybody can handle that responsibility. Um, and then on top of that, there are some people that have they're my safe spaces for certain things. Yeah, they're my safe spaces yeah. for work. They're my safe spaces for church. They're my safe spaces for my relationship. Um, spaces for my marriage. You know, um, those are things that you you want to make sure you have. Um, and then learning how to be your total authentic self. But at the same token. We can't be, you gotta be careful. There's a safe space and there's a safe harbor. Hmm. And safe spaces are a place where you're allowed to go out there and admit, confess, this is what's going on. But be careful that we're not becoming a safe harbor in that we allow this junk to just stay. I guess one thing for you to say, you say to me, and I have this is a nice example, you know, I'm cheating on my wife, right? And safe space says, all right, this is what you're dealing with. Blah, blah, blah. But but if all of a sudden we're having conversations, you're like, yeah, I saw that woman again. Oh, yeah, I saw that woman again. And you're just not holding them accountable. Like, Correct. bruh, this is, you need to fix, like, you need to get this done. That becomes a safe harbor. And you got to be careful that that's not what we become because what ends up happening is you end up being complicit mm-hmm. in a situation that, you you weren't called to be complicit in you know my job is to edify you and my job is to if i need to call you on some stuff i'm gonna call you on some stuff but know that i'm not judging you in it because every last one of us have our junk your junk is this my junk is that you may be dealing with addiction with cocaine i deal with addiction with food yeah so for me to sit there and say you know i'm better off than you is is not it that's a safe space safe harbor is when you keep telling me that this is what's going on and i'm not trying to get you in the direction of rectifying the situation you see you see the difference there and so i think that those are things that we have to be very mindful of um because you know you do have this mentality out there you're not allowed to judge me well Mm, the bible tells me that my job as your brother to judge righteously yeah it's to to hold you accountable for it you know yeah we're not perfect if the only one i know that was perfect walked on water right Uh and so i get that but You know, at the same token, my job is, you know, if there's some if there's some stuff that we got to get worked out, and I would hope that you would do the same with me, hold me yeah. accountable to it. Yep. And so we got to be careful because then what ends up happening is people start avoiding it 
and rec- you got to recognize that that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit, you know, because mm. there's two things that's going on here. And I'm going to keep keep it moving. One is if you fully have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've accepted the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you and control everything you're doing, and then you can still sleep at night doing that, then we may need to go back and evaluate whether or not you truly had that relationship. Uh, well, and so that's where that starts. So I may have to, that's the conversation. Do, do you really know who Jesus is? You know, because, you know, now it's one thing to like kind of ignore it and, you know, just kind of wrestle with it, with the Lord. I mean, we've all been there where we wrestling with him, right? Right. And that's one thing. But if you can just sit there and just live in it and then you, you, that's, that's a problem. And me allowing you to do that. That's not, that's not, I can't do that. Yeah, no, that's really good. And like, do you remind me of like Romans one when Paul says that you know God turns them over to a reprobate mind? That's, that's, right. that's like a state. Like I believe other translators they say depraved, but I think reprobate is just appropriate because it sounds that's a right. lot more strict. <laughs> but right. like when we look at it, like you don't want to stay in that. And I love what you said about being the difference between a safe place and a safe harbor because that's something now that like as men we usually don't we usually don't have accountabilities that we actually respect enough to even tell us so the most we have is our bros but if we're being honest our bros sometimes might even enable certain of the behaviors that we're confiding them in so i completely agree with that and i want to add whether it pertains to how to know when something is a safe place i say you'll never really know something is a safe space until you test it yeah and so i oftentimes tell people i said look like you know especially young men they say look i'm a guy and i have like no brothers uh in christ around me and you know which is usually like the female to male christian ratio is very like high so i would say look like you don't meet somebody and begin to tell them like look i murdered uh my grade six teacher like five years ago and so i was like hold on because now i have to call the police right um Right. (laughs) right like you don't you don't do that like you know conversation number one Um, but like, I would say like when you're developing a friendship or you're developing some type of accountability, I always say test with information. So for example, um, if you guys are maybe friends, uh, you can say, Hey bro, you know, I have a crush on this girl in grade six, see what he or she does with that information. You know, does it come back to you? If it comes back to you and you have to test with something that you're not concerned about it getting out. So if they can keep that and like, you know, you haven't heard anything back. Okay. Then you can say, you know what? Hey, you know, I kind of have a struggle with, you know, with smoking weed and then see what happens there. And then, you know, you kind of notice that it's safe, you know, nothing's, they're encouraging you, praying with you, you know, telling you to get help, whatever, seek counsel. And then as you build and develop a relationship, you can then really know that a place for for men that is is like is a safe environment for you so you want to you want to get you want to test it number one but secondly you want to make sure that the men that you are confiding in um i when we say safe space i'm assuming we're talking about with men right yeah the space the safe space that we're confiding in that they're not enabling your behavior but they're actually challenging you and holding you to a to a higher standard i believe there's a scripture i believe it's in second timothy paul was telling timothy he said um you pursue peace and follow love with all men who follow after the Lord with a pure heart. And that keyword is with. And so like, we need to be able to do like, you know, you want to hang out in circles 
of people that are doing quote unquote better than you in terms of their integrity, their standards and their morals, because they usually say, if you show me your friends then I can show you who you are. I agree with that, but I don't agree with that too, because if we were to put that in context to Jesus, it's kind of not right when he was hanging out with the religious. But um, in terms of like, when you, when we talk about, you know, you want to kind of enter into a space that someone's going to cause you to say, Hey, you're better than this. Hey, don't do that. And you know, that's why I would more so prefer. And I, you just, it, it, this conversation is blessing me so much that, you know, we need sober minded, godly men who are em emotionally healthy to stand up, be able to take the hits from, uh, from those who have deferring standpoints on masculinity to really defend a generation so that we can normalize it. And that's why it's like trailblazing. So I know for me personally, I receive a lot of heat because I'm big on, you know, uh, male affection. I'm I'm like, I don't know you and I'll tell you, I love you. I'm that kind of guy. Like I'm very big on hugs. I'm very big on, you know, cry like a man. I'm very big on tell me how you feel, voice it. Like all the girls are gone. What's really going on crying in the car. That's my type of thing. And so I've been giving a mandate to really, so you hear me talking about toxic manly because I can't stand it. It's a principality that I believe I'm called to combat um, by his grace. And so I do that. And so I oftentimes get a lot of backlash because I know that we, if somebody can just endure the the ignorant mindset and endure the blows we can save a generation because my thing is like it's all it's all familial and it's all generational and so if i can impart to my spiritual sons uh what it's like to you know receive healthy love uh receive healthy affection affirm them they in it's i'm basically teaching them how to do that with their natural children and their spiritual children because it's what they receive. I'm watching a show right now called Cobra Kai. I don't know if you guys have heard it on Netflix. That thing is blessing me soul, body, and spirit. When I tell you that like Daniel LaRusso, he learned so much from Mr. Miyagi. And throughout life, he hears Mr. Miyagi's counsel, his wisdom. Why? Because there was that was a relationship that Mr. Miyagi imparted good principles, good morals. He invested into him, taught him a whole bunch of different things. And so even though Mr. Miyagi wasn't by blood, um, they had a covenant relationship together, which I think of that as Paul and Timothy. I know they're not saved and whatnot, but he imparted all of that to Timothy. Uh, sorry, to Daniel LaRusso. <laughs> And so Daniel now, he's able to be a healthier man with good integral, uh, integrity, good morals. And so I say all of this to say that, like, we kind of need uh, emotionally healthy men to really take the bullets and to take the blows of those who have deferring standpoints in order to save a generation. Because when you look at it, like I've had conversations with other um, African-American friends of mine who are used to uh, having father figures that are not just in the home, but also are emotionally present. So me hearing that, I'm like, your dad told you he's proud of you? Your dad goes to your, he goes to your basketball games? You, your dad cares about your report card? Your dad talks to you? You guys actually do things together? And so I'm here thinking that I was, what I had is normal because I didn't have that. But in reality, I'm like, whoa, like this stuff actually ex exists outside of my paradigm. And so it's yeah. really rewiring my mind and the way that I used to see things. It's just like, whoa, like, Maybe I was the one that was kind of born and bred in dysfunction. And so when we look at it, we need men to stand up and to, you know, cry like a man in safe spaces. I don't, you know, I'm, when you're married, and I'm sure Dr. Michael knows this, I'm not married yet, but soon to be. Um, when we look at something like, I, like if I'm crying in front of my wife, it's going to have to be circumstantial. 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I'll do it in a way to cry where I can score points where she'd be like, oh, you were vulnerable enough to show me that you can cry. <laughs> but I'm probably not going to cry because there's a dead rat in the, in the basement. Or I'm probably not going to cry because, you know, I'm having whatever. Those are those are things that are reserved for the car or things that are reserved for your time for prayer. And so I'm not saying if you cry in front of your wife, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I'm just talking about me personally. And so I believe that when you know that you have a safe place, you have to look at how people manage your heart, but you have to test them with little bits of information and that you're not really concerned about uh, like losing or, or divulged, being divulged. And then if you notice that if you're, if they can steward that Matthew 25, you can then be faithful over more. So I think that's just some of the wisdom I'd give over that. That's good. That's really good. I just love the fact that you use Cobra Kai as an example. Yes. Well, and, and, and with Cobra Kai, Johnny, Johnny, on the other hand, the bad habits yeah. that he picked up, he picked up from his mentor. Correct. You know, so, had a, a, yeah. so you see, you see the night and day of those, um, those mm -hmm. situations. Very good. Yeah, and Cobra he really Kai. did. And you, you, okay, Cobra Kai, just two more seconds. Jo um, so Johnny Lawrence, essentially, and spoiler alert, I don't know if you guys have watched him, but spoiler alert. Um, Johnny Lawrence, essentially, he did look up to John Kreese. And John Kreese taught him, strike hard, strike first, no mercy. And Mr. Miyagi said, fighting no good. Fighting last resort. So you can literally see, they were both trained to fight, but the motive behind why you were fighting was completely different between the two. And so it goes because Johnny Lawrence needed a father figure because he was always bullied. And so he happened to put his heart in the hands of the wrong man. Now, he was vulnerable. I'm sure he didn't know what J John Kreese was, you know. So just we have those unfortunate cases. But that's why I want to raise up a generation of healthy whole men with standards and who know how to deal with the vulnerable parts of men. Because that's where a lot of the perversion, as, as Dr. Michael um, talked about, can come in. And there, there's a sense of power when... Uh, when when men submit to other men and if you're not careful it can get uh jaded and it can get real weird and so we need trustworthy men of integrity and honor to really do that so yeah absolutely i mean cobra kai i if you haven't watched it you need to watch it that thing is blessing me blessing me all three seasons absolutely all of them yeah. and before you start three seasons watch karate kid the one from 1984 it will give you great context for cobra kai it will it's the fact that some natural shows have such profound spiritual value. Yep. But you just have to like catch it. You just oh, yeah. have to catch it. So I guess we can go ahead and wrap this up because you guys kind of hit this topic as well with it. Tips on healing, basically. Maintaining sanity, maintaining emotional health. What are some what are some tips that you guys would give? to our listeners, to our male listeners on this type of uh, subject, whatever it is. Yeah. What are some tips that you guys have? I, I will start with finding a, um, I guess for lack of a better word, finding a mentor, finding someone um, that can actually walk beside you in that, in that, in that regard. Um, and how it works is you have to be honest, you have to be open and you have to be willing, mm -hmm. right? Um, honest, open, and willing. You know, I, I can't help you if, if you're not honest with me, but I also recognize that I have to earn that honesty too, yeah. right? And so the test that you gave Stephen is perfect because, Apostle Stephen, because that's that's perfect, mm -hmm. right? 
um you know that's why you do you throw out little things like that that you don't mind getting out because you can find out if this person's going to give it back to you and i will tell you this men are you know we, we give women a, a hard time but you want to get the good tea you you hang out in the barbershop listen we we're good at Seriously. it we are the best we i don't know what it is but it, and I, I watched somebody said on tv once they said men are the worst are worse at gossip than women are and i think there's some truth to it we i don't know what it's about but you sit in that barbershop and man, you you get all the all the tea. All the tea. You'll know everybody. Eyebrows will be in the church and I'm like, what? Yep, church safe day. You sit these shoes. Sometimes those back um after the after the revival. Because before the revival, you know, everybody trying to be holy and sanctified. But when they sit around them chicken wings <laughs> and that church punch, you know what I'm talking about. The church <laughs> punch. <laughs> My mom actually makes the church punch. So I got it. I got a home corner back. You already know. You already know. And that's where you get years as an associate just sit back and listen you learn you learn a whole lot (laughs) but um but you know in all honesty you got to get that 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 that, that's a very good piece and um and then also too i tell people you know take some time with yourself um Mm -hmm. self-care is extremely important i have found for me that yoga i try to yoga at least twice a week um that you know a lot of people and we talked about this on my show that a lot of people think yoga is a spiritual, I mean, a um, demonic thing. And it does have some, you know, roots in it, but it's not a religion of its own. It's the whole idea of being, you know, just meditating. I mean, I don't, I don't know too many Christians that will argue against meditation. And so um, taking some time to really just have some self. Um, I remember when the pandemic first started um, back in, well, for us back in March, um, I work, you know, I work for the government and um, I found out on March 12th that we were going to be working from home indefinitely. And um, so all of a sudden this information was hitting all at once. And I'm, you know, I have a pretty, I'm a pretty, um, a pretty important position within my job. So I'm dealing with the stresses of that. Then I'm at home. Yeah. Wife is home. Son is home. Mm-hmm. I got elderly parents. We know nothing about this disease. I'm, I'm, you know, People that look like me don't aren't doing too well with it. I'm freaking out, right? And I'll never right. forget sitting in um, our makeshift office in the house. It was um, you could hear the frog out the window just croaking, <laughs> and um, it was I think it was raining too. And just all of a sudden, it sat and it was dark. And I remember just sitting there and listening. And um, the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and He said, um, "Get back into My Word." That's good. It was as clear as day. Get back into my word. Um, and he reminded me of when I, when my study is the most strongest. And so that's why I actually started, I do a Tuesday night Bible study online. And many people think, oh, you're doing that for, no, I actually did it for myself because it forced me to get back into that routine of studying and just, you know, one of the best ways to learn something for me is to teach it. And, um, and so I started a Bible study on Tuesday nights and we've, we've still been going and that was spending that time of just listening to the Lord and letting him talk to me, letting him minister to me. Uh, that's something that um, was extremely important. So finding that mentor and taking some time with yourself and ultimately with the Lord. Those are two pieces I would say. Yeah, I love that. It's so good. I definitely concur. I could not agree more. Um, I too would add um, just, you know, find a way of releasing or expressing yourself. So whether it be journaling writing i know for some men it's like if you're not used to you know vocalizing your feelings write them down 
uh, get an app in your phone. You have no apps on your phone. Type them out how you're feeling, etc. And I would say, really, like, really uh, acquaint yourself. I couldn't agree more. Like, get a mentor or a figure that you, another man that you look up to, um, that has a you know clean track record. I know we all don't have access to police reports and whatnot, but so, some somebody that you deem that you respect in a higher regard. And I would say this: this is something that I've learned that men usually bond through. Uh, there, there needs to be some type of mutual interest that bond men together. So for some women, all you got to do is come over and we'll have tea. Um, but then, it, well, then again, tea, I guess tea would be the common denominator. But okay, I think it's universal. Find something that you can do to bond uh, with an individual. I would say another man because I, I'm using this analogy from Cobra Kai or even um uh, 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 Karate Kid when we see that like you know they bonded over karate and that is kind of what you know and when they created that bond and trust um, Daniel was able to ask you know Mr. Miyagi about uh, you know I have a date you know what should I do uh, or you know I'm, I'm experiencing this at school what should I do and so because they kind of already had that relationship based on their mutual interest it was able to translate um, to even something more than that and so when I would say like as a man when you're trying to heal and overcome this process you need to understand that every man that you might look up to um, in order to heal from this emotional, uh, 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 these emotional place that you're at, they may not have the capacity to handle your heart and you have to be okay with that. So you have to steward who you give your heart to and who you give your words to. And so that I know oftentimes you say, well, I'm excited to heal. And then you throw your heart in the, in the uncle's hand and you'll be like, boy, what you talking about? Stop crying about it. It's not that serious. And then now you're like, oh God. And that's trauma on top of the trauma that you just tried to heal. Right. And so, I would say really discern, you know, test, as I mentioned before, uh, write, bend, do whatever you need to do. If I know some men, they go to the gym, they work out. Um, that's another expression that men can usually do to kind of like de-stress, decode, and also just do things that you enjoy to do. Um, you know, like if it's Netflix, if it's playing sports, if it's, you know, a couple hours of video games for it, like whatever you need to do to really like, decode and stress but we i don't want for us to suppress but the aim is that you can find somebody that you can trust and i'll, I'll say this in closing is that if you find somebody the reality is is they're going to be honest because we all know what rejection and pain and sadness feels like and so if you come and you're very vulnerable and you're very uh you know honest about something nine mm, not nine times six times out of ten most likely you're gonna find somebody to say you know what i was once young let me bless you with this your posture it matters on how you go about pursuing this mentor so and i say your i say a man i wouldn't advise trying to heal with friends because they may not be mature enough to help you and they may not even have anything to offer you unless they're like really really mature for their age but your posture matters so if you go to somebody and say listen when you were my age, did you ever encounter this? Immediately what you do is now you empower the person you just asked that question to feel like a teacher. And everybody likes to feel like a teacher. So they're going to pull on their best wisdom. They're going to be honest. They're going to sympathize with you because you're empowering them to feel good about themselves by helping you. And then so 
in that thing they give you the tips the tools that you kind of need to really uh glean and then so you know you thank them and follow up you know or if, if depending on their makeup they might ask hey how's this going you know is everything going well in that area and follow up tell them like hey i did what you said it really helped you know thank you so on and so forth and so i think those are some of the things that i would say as you heal now spiritual things take it to the lord in prayer i mean <laughs> find a scripture jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted when we talk about emotional health, um, you know, he wants our souls to prosper, soul, body, and spirit. Um, you know, there's so, you can declare the word of God by his stripes. I'm healed. Healing is not limited to physical. It's heal, It's also to emotional healing as well. Um, and so that's why I love when it says that he come to bind up the brokenhearted. That's like, you know, when, when, when your heart is in shambles and all, he's come to, he's literally called and anointed for you in that standpoint. And so the Greek word for healing in the New Testament is Therapos or thera therapuo. It's therapy. And so when we look at it, like that's also another avenue that you can do as it comes to healing. Now, depending on your age, you may not be able to afford it. It can be a little costly, but there are things that you can do. You know, uh, if you're in high school, you know, guidance counselors are there. If you're uh, post-secondary, you know, they ha kind of have services and assistance uh, to assist you in that regard. So I would say like, of course, my first thing is a spiritual route. Like if you got to cry before the Lord, you mean do it. But after you, when you wipe your nose and your eyes, you got to have at least five scriptures coming out of your prayer time of how you're going to heal what are you going to declare as dr michael said faith comes by hearing and the more you hear something is the more that you begin to believe it and so you yep. know like when we talk about the bible talks about your sonship and your identity as a son and not an orphan not a bastard but we are sons and daughters of god and so when we understand that we have a loving father psalms 103 is a scripture for you it says that you know we have a father um god he's not like man but he as a father pities his child say so the lord Lord has mercy or pities them that come to him. And when I read that scripture, I was challenged because I had never really received pity from my natural father. And so I'm like, so this means that God has pity on me and he knows my frame. He knows that I'm made from the dust. He's slow to anger. He's gracious. He's merciful. And oftentimes we associate our natural experience with our father and we think God is the same way. And that's completely false because I had to yeah. unlearn that based on Psalms 103. Yeah. I was like, whoa, God's slow to anger. Maybe you had an abusive father who would fly off the handle at the littlest things. So now you think God's the same way when he's not. So you also have to learn the character of God learn that he's a provider he's a protector he's all loving but yes but who he loves he also rebukes so you will receive some rebuke um all of that and so these are some of the things that you can use as you're healing to really um go pro go with your process but i mean i just love it all i love it all and i love what um dr michael said mentorship is often one of the greatest ways because the fastest way that uh, you can heal, men heal men, men affirm men, men validate men. And that's why moms, moms, I pro moms, I'm proud of you is good, but it's not the same as dads. I'm proud of you. And even if it's not dad, if it's a, it's a figure that a man respects, it's equally as important. And it's just enough. Why? Because as men back in the, in Hebrew days, we were the laborer, um, the labelers. We were the one who gave name and casted identity. And so when we look at that, like a man's words really mean a lot. And so I have to concur with Dr. Michael, definitely find you a mentor, test them, find outlets, find avenues um, that you can do, utilize different resources and the word of God. And I believe that you should be successful in those endeavors. This conversation gave the life that I needed. This conversation was amazing. You heard it here first, guys. Dr. Dorsey Apostle Hyde put us 
I mean, blessed us with Cobra Kai examples. With Cobra Kai examples, y'all, y'all cash after me to God, please. Let's let's do this now. We're 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 closing, we're closing. Offering is coming, but no, seriously, I appreciate you guys so much for joining me today. This conversation was amazing. My lord, I'm texting all of my male friends and like, yo, y'all have got to hear this when this comes out. So in closing, it's like at this point, all we can say is, hey, bro, like, it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to have therapy. And it's okay for Jesus to be your therapy. It's okay. Like, you don't have to suppress it. Suppressing is not going to help you. It's okay. I'm, somebody said earlier, I'm a firm believer in Jesus and therapy. Mm -hmm. I have a therapist and I also have Jesus. So once I finish crying to Jesus, I'm crying to my therapist, Right. you know? So it's okay. It is okay. That's it for Vibe Central. We're out.